he flew aboard Challenger in February 1984. We want to recap here uh, as uh, more uh, people join us uh, along the way. Uh, the Space Shuttle Challenger lifted off the launch pad about 15 minutes ago, 14 minutes ago at, uh, at 11.30, about 15 minutes ago, 11.38 Eastern Time. It was about a minute into its flight when uh, something went terribly wrong. Uh, it exploded. We don't know why it exploded. There, uh, uh, we have no indication from Mission Control that there was any indication of a problem. Suddenly, uh, there was an explosion. Uh, contact was lost with the space shuttle, uh, and uh, uh, NASA tracked an object, apparently uh, the space shuttle, impacting in the Atlantic Ocean. The AP's uh, Dick Uliano is uh, with me. He was uh, uh, watching as I was as the uh, shuttle uh, lifted atop a, a uh, pillar of uh, fire and, and smoke and steam, and suddenly the, uh, the, f for the familiar sight that we have seen for 24 previous shuttle missions went awry, and there were suddenly two pillars of smoke, a division, uh, two flaming objects, and then we lost sight of, of the shuttle. It would have occurred, Bob, uh, less than 28 miles high because when the shuttle reaches approximately that point, that is a two and a half minutes into flight where we should have uh, the separation of the solid rocket boosters. But uh, as we watched Challenger rise, its ascent seemed normal. Uh, it reached a point in the sky when suddenly we, what, what, what we normally see is that single large white tail of flame, a 700-foot-long tail of flame. That is the, um, the confluence of, of the three engines and the solid rocket boosters. But then, suddenly, two tiny bits of flame seemed to shoot out, one in particular from the right, shot away from the other flame. It, it was at that point that it certainly seemed that it, it had lost a solid rocket booster, and we learned later the Space Shuttle Challenger with seven crew members aboard exploded. I am told uh, along the line now that we are expecting a statement from the White House shortly on this matter, and uh, we don't know exactly when that will be coming, but we'll be standing by for that. We might uh, mention that uh, NASA is extremely cautious about these launches. We had uh, a mission that had been delayed, uh, what was it, Dick? Uh, the Columbia mission just before this one, uh, there were, I think, seven postponements, was That's it? That's right. And, uh, this mission had been delayed four previous times, uh, three times because of uh, weather concerns. Uh, NASA plans in uh, uh, a lot of, of safety uh, uh, in, in these missions, in these flights. Uh, they plan for uh, uh, all sorts of different contingencies as far as uh, uh, abort, uh, uh, aborts are concerned. Uh, they uh, can uh, return to the uh, landing site uh, here at the Kennedy Space Center if something happens early in the uh, Larry speaks from the uh, White House. We do we not have any more information than is being provided to the public at this time. Uh, the way the Federal President found out about it is he was uh, in the Oval Office uh, with a group of senior staff uh, preparing for some questions with uh, a group of network correspondents and anchors that were having lunch in the White House uh, today uh, regarding the budget and the State of the Union.
the Vice President and the Foreign Policy Advisor, John Poindexter, uh, came in with others and informed the President that the news had just broken. Uh, we immediately adjourned our Oval Office meeting and went into an adjoining uh, room, the President's study, where there's a television, and the President then began to review television reports of the uh, explosion there shortly after the launch. So once again, the President is, is concerned, he is, uh, is, is saddened, he is uh, very uh, anxious to have more information on it at the moment. As I say, we're learning most of our information from what the public is getting. What is the yes, best information as to the condition of the crew of Larry at this point? We don't have any more information than what, it, what is being provided to the public on television. Uh, hopefully later we will be able to get some, and that's uh, the President's first priority is to find out what information uh, that is available. We, just don't, spoken with the we just don't have any more. Uh, no, we have not, not from the Oval Office. Will this affect uh, in any way the plans for the State of the Union tonight? I don't believe so. I'm certain that the President uh, uh, will, uh, will feel compelled to, to mention this, depending on the outcome of what we learn here in a few minutes. Will it affect but, uh, the uh, shuttle program? Well, that, that's hard to say, uh, you know, here in 15 or 20 minutes after an incident of this type is concerned. I'm sure it will not affect uh, the United States' determination to consider uh, to continue the exploration of space and all the benefits we've received from it. Uh, while, the, while, while, while this is, is indeed tragic, uh, it certainly uh, uh, will not deter the United States in its interest in space exploration. Well, all the pro problems that the shuttle has had, will any substantial reevaluation be done of the program itself? Well, once again, you're, you're very premature in ans asking a question concerning the future uh, of the space program. Uh, the United States has, has met adversity uh, many times before in the space program. It is one of the most effective and successful programs uh, uh, of that type that any country has ever undertaken. Larry, can you tell us anything specifically that the president said, any quotations, and did he make any mention of the fact that uh, the teacher that uh, he, he suggested, uh, that the program of a teacher in space, that that teacher was on board this flight? Well, I know that was on his mind. Quite frankly, the president was stood there in almost stunned silence as he watched the television. Uh, you, could, uh, you could certainly read uh, the concern, uh, the sorrow, uh, the anxiety, uh, on his face as he watched, uh, and the group watched around him. As I say, he was he was virtually watched in silence. Might anyone from the White House uh, be leading some sort of investigating team, or will it just be up to NASA to investigate this? All this is is very very early, and there's just nothing we can say. Our our immediate concern is the is the crew, and uh, and all of these other questions will just have to be deferred until much later. Was anything said about the fact that the, the teacher was on board this plane? Well, it was something that was was on all of our minds that that, that we did have the first teacher in space, uh, really the first uh, uh, civilian, so to speak, other than our members of Congress who have flown uh, in space, and uh, certainly that's on our mind. Are there Larry, any scientific aids who have been able to say that they could survive such an explosion? Just don't have that kind of information Larry, you said yet. That the uh, vice president, Matt Poindexter, informed the president. How did the White House learn about it? Uh, I'm certain that we probably learned it from the news media, as we do many times when th uh, incidents like this uh, occur uh, unexpectedly. Might so this influence the decision about whether other civilians will be allowed on the shuttle from now on? Or? Once again, all of these questions. Our immediate concern is for the fate of the crew to find out exactly what has happened to those seven people aboard. 
Uh, all of these other questions, we'll just have to wait till later. Dave? Can you tell us anything about what the president's schedule, how the president's schedule is changing now? The president's schedule has not changed. Uh, uh, he will keep on with uh, what he had planned today and, uh, and, and the State of the Union tonight. Uh, and once again, I think the only change in his schedule would be to simply uh, be updated and try to seek the facts in this. Will the president be making a phone call to the family party? I just don't know. Well, it you, customarily you know. does, but we, we, we're going to wait till we find out what the facts are. Larry, mm -hmm. uh, what, he watched in silence, but were there no, con no quotes that you could give us? Nothing. It was virtually, virtually in silence. Are you going to know what's being done now, Larry, in terms of uh, searching for... Uh, no. That, 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 all of that information we just do not have yet. Dale, you had one question and you want to go? Okay. What are your plans, what are your plans about briefing the rest of the afternoon on this? Well, I think uh, once we find out what the, what the facts are and, and particularly what the fate of the crew is, then we'll be prepared to say something. Larry, did you detect any sign of emotion as the president watched? Was he shaking his head? Concern, his voice? concern anxiety, silence. <laughs> heard uh, White House spokesman Larry Speaks there uh, reacting to uh, this terrible tragedy this morning, the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger on launch. I'm Bob Moon along with correspondent Dick Giuliano at the Kennedy Space Center, and if you are just joining us, this is AP Network News live coverage of the uh, mission of Challenger and what has now turned to tragedy. Joining us now uh, is AP correspondent uh, David Tirawaisaki. Uh, he has been covering the, uh, the New Hampshire part of this mission. Uh, the school teacher who uh, was flying on this mission, Kristen McAuliffe, uh, was a high school teacher from New Hampshire. And uh, Dave uh, was with the uh, spectators out in the VIP area uh, watching the, the launch. Dave, what did you see? What seconds earlier had been excitement excitement is the only word that was in the stands everyone was cheering they saw the explosion and thought that was the separation of the rockets and cheered at that because yesterday they thought they wouldn't be able to see that because of cloud cover that's what they thought it was a moment later they heard word from mission control that the explosion was not what they thought it was And uh, so that uh, was the situation at the uh, VIP area. Uh, let's go back now to the launch time and uh, hear a replay of the, the first word we got of the, uh, of the explosion of Challenger. Uh, this was uh, the description from uh, NASA, NASA's uh, commentator, Steve Nesbitt. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are uh, looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces to see uh, what can be done at this point. We have a report uh, relayed through the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. We are now looking at uh, all the contingency operations and awaiting uh, word from any recovery uh, forces in the downrange field. Reports from the flight dynamics officer indicate that the vehicle uh, apparently exploded and that uh, impact uh, in the water at a, a point approximately 28.64 uh, degrees north, uh, 80.28 uh, degrees west. 
NASA commentator Steve Nesbitt describing uh, the explosion of Challenger on launch. It happened about uh, a minute into the launch. Uh, we have been told by NASA since then that the ascent was normal as far as NASA could see and uh, that they did track uh, an impact off the coast of Florida in the Atlantic. Paramedics parachuted in, into the area and that is the last word we have from there. Again, uh, correspondent uh, David Terawaisaki, uh, Associated Press correspondent who has been covering the uh, New Hampshire angle of this mission, uh, Krista McAuliffe, the school teacher on board, a school teacher from New Hampshire. Uh, David has brought in a recording of the scene uh, out at the VIP area uh, where uh, they were watching the launch, and uh, here, is, here is what was heard uh, out uh, in, in the spectator area. scene in the bleachers, the third grade class that includes Krista McAuliffe's son, Scott. He was not with him today. He was taken uh, Saturday night to be with his father for the launch and to be away from the class. Parents and chaperones, about a dozen parents, have been chaperoning the 19 children this week. Everyone turned to each other and looked in disbelief. The parents were hugging the children. The children were crying. The parents were crying, trying to make sure they, could, they were keeping track of the two or three kids each they were responsible for. About two rows in front of the parents and right in front of me were Mr. and Mrs. Corrigan, Ed and Grace Corrigan from Framingham, Massachusetts, Krista McAuliffe's parents. They looked in disbelief. When they heard the announcement, I don't think it sunk in immediately, um, a NASA official walked into the bleachers, climbed up a few rows to where they were, and quietly looked them in the eye and said, the vehicle has exploded. Mrs. Corrigan looked back at him in disbelief and repeated, as in, as in asking a question, her, and her response was, the vehicle has exploded, and he just nodded his head. I spoke to him later. He said he didn't think immediately. Of course, they knew exactly what, what he had meant. They were led away. Uh, the stands emptied immediately. The school principal, Clint Cogswell from Concord, New Hampshire, and the teachers uh, herded the children or, or moved the children quickly onto the bus. Uh, they were all crying. They are all shocked. Uh, Scott is a good friend of theirs, Scott McAuliffe, the youngster. Uh, many of the parents were personal friends of Krista. Uh, the the uh, head of the teachers' union in Concord, New Hampshire, David Staples, is here. He's a colleague and friend of Krista. He was in shock. He was fighting back tears when I spoke to him. And uh, obviously, what it, they had, many of the people in the stands, including the class, had extended their trip. They were supposed to leave yesterday. They made last-minute arrangements, extended the trip to today to take in what they thought would be the highlight of their busy week in Florida. Bob? David, uh, you were uh, obviously watching these, these kids. Uh, I assume you also had, uh, had an eye on the, on the launch. Can you tell us uh, what you saw? I was going back and forth, watching the rocket, watching the kids. I, too, thought that the explosion was the separation of the, of the rockets from the shuttle. But then it began to appear to corkscrew. And I, I had never seen that in a launch before. This is the first launch I've covered. I've only seen them on TV. And the first thought I had was that that looked strange. I didn't believe that it would make such a gyration in, in, in a launch. and thought more like it would be a straight line. The kids 
I'm sure didn't know what it meant. Um, some of the parents looked as though they, they couldn't figure out why there was such a zigzag line in the sky. And then when the announcement came over the loudspeaker that there was a major malfunction, a hush fell over the bleacher. Silence, complete silence. Everyone stared up at the smoke in the sky. There wasn't a sound in the bleacher. And then the announcement came that apparently there had been an explosion and everyone burst into tears. Dave, the, again, uh, you mentioned that the parents were in the bleachers. Uh, was Krista's son in those bleachers? No. He stayed with the class until Saturday night. And Saturday night, there was a reception in Orlando, uh, co-hosted, I assume, by his father, Stephen McAuliffe, and the wives of the current mission commander and the past mission commander, a traditional uh, reception, as I understand it. Um, Scott went to the reception and stayed with his father after that because of the scheduled launch, of course, uh, Sunday morning. Do we know where they were uh, this morning? We were told in advance that they would be in the special viewing area, a building um, slightly to the left of where the VIP grandstand was, but very close to it, probably within 100 yards of it. So we assume that Stephen McAuliffe, his son Scott, possibly daughter Caroline, who is six, Scott is nine, uh, were in that viewing area. Um, Mr. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Cargan. Krista McCullough's parents were not in the special viewing area. They were in the bleachers with the kids. Okay, let's go back uh, again. That was uh, AP correspondent David Terrell-Wysocki, who has been covering uh, the New Hampshire delegation, you might say, here at the Kennedy Space Center. All the visitors who came to see uh, New Hampshire high school teacher Krista McCullough's flight into space. Let's go back out to... Uh, AP correspondent Dick Uliano and Dick, uh, maybe you can give us, for those just joining us uh, along the line here, a, a recap of this morning's tragedy. It was about a half hour ago, Bob, when Challenger was on its launch pad and began to lift off. What we normally look for when the shuttle lifts up off the launch pad, it should roll to the right and then arch up out over the Atlantic. Um, we got that. That seemed to be correct. Normally, you'll hear a call from Mission Control when they'll, they'll say, a roger roll. It begins to ascend up into the sky, and uh, we watch for an ascent uh, really out toward the Atlantic. And then when it reaches about 28 miles high, the solid rocket boosters should separate, and it continues to rise. It never reached that point. It was approximately a minute after liftoff when something horribly tragic happened. As Dave Tyrrell Wysocki of Concord, New Hampshire described, it was almost like a corkscrew motion. And rather than that one bright tail of flame that we should see as the shuttle rises, we saw two, perhaps three. And then uh, behind, then all we could see was that, that white smoke, and uh, we saw drifting below it almost stringy pieces of white smoke, perhaps debris drifting down uh, over into the, uh, into the Atlantic Ocean. This all began a little more than uh, 30 minutes ago. A crew of seven aboard Challenger, and uh, we've been told a recovery ship has been sent out uh, with uh, medevac personnel, and uh, that's where we stand now. The visitor stand where our Concord, New Hampshire correspondent uh, was reporting with the children and some of the de uh, visiting delegates has cleared out, and it's very, very quiet now here at the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, just a stunned, stunned disbelief that this has happened after 25 uh, very successful missions uh, for the space shuttle and uh, 10 success, uh, 24 previous missions, and uh, this was going to be Challenger's 10th mission into space. Uh, 
standing by with us now is uh, correspondent Mark Smith, uh, who can uh, give us a, a little bit more background, Mark. Well, Bob, I'd like to bring you back to the last time that uh, Challenger flew, um, which was a mission uh, that ended in August of uh, 1985. Um, at that point, uh, now that was uh, July 29th when uh, it was uh, ready to launch. They launched it from the Cape. It actually got five minutes and 45 seconds into its flight, but one of the three main engines, number one, shut down. Um, at that point, a computer cut in and ordered the other two to keep going uh, longer than expected, and so the, the, uh, the vehicle was able to get up into Earth orbit, lower than they expected, but it, it did indeed get up into Earth orbit. Um, now, after the shuttle came down, obviously they took a look at it and look at, looked at, the, uh, at what they could of, of the engines, and they came to the conclusion that uh, some faulty sensors, uh, heat sensors inside the shuttle, uh, had become defective and had been telling the computer uh, that there was a, a heat pump overheating. Um, and uh, as a result of which, the computer then went along and shut down engine number one. It was five minutes, 45 seconds into flight. No serious harm done. Uh, they weren't quite able to get up into as high an orbit as they planned. Well, those three sensors were removed after the shuttle landed. Uh, Rockwell International, the main contractor, said, well, yes, indeed, uh, those sensors were defective. They said they... Uh, as a matter of fact, um, one of the company officials said, we found what we expected to find. And so uh, they believed they had fixed the problem. Now, we absolutely must emphasize we have no way of knowing whether that problem was connected with what took place today. Um, I do, want, however, want to play you uh, um, a recording of uh, Gordon Fullerton, the mission commander um, on the last uh, shuttle mission uh, asked about those uh, engine problems and uh, what he said uh, when he got back to Earth. We are going to recommend that they send it back to the shop for an engine tune-up. <laughs> but uh, once we got it established on orbit, uh, we just had nothing to report, literally. It was uh, as clean a flight as I've ever heard of. Okay, and I also should um, uh, go back into our uh, archives uh, here at AP Network News and play you um, uh, again a recording of uh, Jess Moore, NASA's associate uh, administrator for uh, uh, space flight at the time, um, and uh, he also was asked about those engine shutdown, uh, that engine shutdown episode, and uh, he too was not uh, terribly concerned about it. We are, I think, in the early stages of the operations of this program, and I think we probably had less than two hours of actual flight time of the uh, uh, shuttle engine in terms of uh, the ascent phase. Uh, and so I think that's a, a very small actual flight data sample that uh, uh, we have to gain our experience from. So uh, basically he was saying that uh, they hoped they would fly shuttle again and learn more about it, uh, you know, from uh, actual in-flight experience. Uh, once again, we must emphasize that we have no way of knowing, certainly at this early stage, uh, whether today's accident was connected at all with the problems experienced on that earlier mission, uh, which, as I said, uh, went up July 29th of uh, last year and uh, came down after otherwise a perfectly normal flight uh, in August. Bob? It is, of course, all speculation at this point, and uh, we might add, uh, again, just as uh, some background here, that uh, earlier this morning there was concern about icicles which had formed on the launch tower. Uh, those icicles, in some cases, we were told, had, uh, had formed to uh, one to two feet long, and there was concern that when the shuttle blasted off, they could shake off the tower, possibly striking the shuttle and damaging the fragile heat-shielding tiles. We might uh, mention that that would make the, uh, the craft aerodynamically unsound if that uh, damage was, uh, was major. Uh, here at the Kennedy Space Center, 
the sky was just a clear, crystal clear blue sky. Uh, the AP's Dick Uliano is, is uh, now standing outside, and Dick, uh, we can still see mm -hmm. uh, the remains of, uh, mm -hmm. of the, the uh, steam cloud. It is. It is still a clear blue sky, and in the remains of this accident, uh, we, can, we can see these wisps of white smoke, uh, the, uh, all that's left, uh, apparently, of, the, of this launching, other than uh, uh, the recovery efforts that are going out over the Atlantic. But in the sky, we see these, these wisps of white smoke. And as Mark Smith in Washington and, uh, and you here, Bob, at Kennedy Space Center, uh, have said repeatedly, we, we have no information as to what may have caused this explosion. We don't know. Uh, however, uh, I wanted to point out that that July 29th incident involving Challenger uh, that was not a problem involving, uh, it was not a problem with the engines of Challenger. This was a problem with a temperature gauge, a temperature gauge that told the ship's computer the engine was running hot. And consequently, the computer shut down an engine that was operating perfectly fine. So, if at all, that abort to orbit that we had back here on July 29th points out another one of these numerous safety features that NASA likes to refer to as its redundancy. Another safety feature to protect the astronauts. The computer turned off that engine because it thought it was running too hot, and it turned out not to be. So the problem there was, was an engine gauge. We mentioned uh, the icicles formed on the service structure, one to two foot long icicles that NASA had voiced a concern about. Uh, these. Um, as you mentioned, Bob, uh, were feared might uh, damage the sensitive tile structure. There's something else we haven't mentioned. The uh, space shuttle is lined uh, with explosives. Now, this is done for a, a very interesting reason. When the space shuttle leaves the launch pad, it is to arch up over to the right, going out over the Atlantic Ocean. If something went wrong upon its initial ascent and it was heading the wrong way, say perhaps to the west toward populated areas, there is um, an Air Force man at Cape Canaveral uh, who can throw a switch and uh, uh, destroy the shuttle. That is not what happened here, but I did want to point out that the shuttle, beyond carrying 500,000 gallons of fuel in its external tank and beyond the 3 million uh, pounds of thrust in its solid rocket boosters, it's also lined with ordnance. We might mention also that uh, the early uh, missions of the Space Shuttle, uh, the Space Shuttle Columbia, uh, they were equipped with ejection seats. Those ejection seats were taken out uh, after the first few missions, after the shuttle reached uh, what they call operational uh, stage. And uh, they were taken out for space reasons, so there are no ejection seats on the space shuttle. And, of course, it would be technically not possible because some of the crew uh, uh, rides uh, mid-deck and, uh, and the rest of the crew rides uh, on, the, on the upper deck of the space shuttle. Approximately 45 minutes ago, when Challenger left the pad now, Bob, our mission clock is still running at uh, 44.36 here at the Kennedy Space Center. If you're just joining us, uh, there has been a terrible tragedy for the American space program, for the shuttle program uh, here at the Kennedy Space Center. The shuttle Columbia, or the shuttle Challenger, I should say, uh, was about a minute into launch uh, when it exploded. Uh, this is Mission Control Houston. Repeating our earlier information uh, for those who uh, had not uh, heard it previously, uh, we did have uh, this morning at uh, uh, launch time. Launch time was approximately... Uh, 10.38 uh, Central Time. 
uh, on launch approximately a minute or so after uh, tower clear. There was an apparent explosion of uh, the orbiter. At the time, uh, uh, data was lost approximately a minute into the flight. Uh, that was uh, shortly after a throttle up to 104% of the three main engines. The flight director pulled uh, positions, flight controller positions in the room uh, later on and this morning and uh, was informed that there were no anomalous indications uh, at the time. Uh, tracking reported uh, impact of the vehicle uh, with the water. According to data, that was approximately 18 miles downrange at the time uh, data stopped. Recovery forces being deployed to the field, being uh, they're unable, were unable uh, shortly to uh, to enter the specific area because of a continuing falling debris, and at about this time are being admitted to, to the impact area. Contingency procedures are in effect, and following those procedures, all of the data available in, in mission control uh, from the flight at the point uh, or up to the point of the incident, uh, data is being secured and will be carefully evaluated. We have no additional information at this time, and we'll keep you advised as other details become available. This is Mission Control, Houston. So there you have it. Uh, we have no uh, no word on the fate of the of the crew, although uh, it would appear that the shuttle uh, exploded uh, with without warning. It would also appear, Bob, that they still don't know what went wrong because, as you heard Steve Nesbitt, the voice of Mission Control, say they had no anomalies, which means uh, nothing to, to Mission Control's knowledge was going wrong up until that point, about a minute after liftoff when the orbiter exploded, and apparently a significant explosion because here we are 45 minutes after the liftoff, and they're just now allowing the rescue teams into the area of the Atlantic because there was so much debris falling. And the remains of uh, the steam cloud uh, that was created by the first minute of the shuttle's rise into the air uh, still can be seen here in the Florida sky hanging like a pall over the Kennedy Space Center now. Uh, earlier today, uh, this has been, we, uh, we have been uh, saying for the past four days now, uh, an anxious waiting game for, uh, for the shuttle crew, and in particular, uh, the first private citizen uh, to, uh, to go into space, uh, New Hampshire high school teacher Krista McAuliffe. Earlier today, as she climbed aboard the space shuttle, uh, Krista McAuliffe uh, spoke in a microphone check to... Uh, uh, launch control here at the Kennedy Space Center, and uh, that that anxious waiting uh, was mentioned. Good morning, Krista. Hope we go today. Good morning, too. New Hampshire high school teacher Krista McAuliffe uh, telling Mission Control that she was ready to go into space. Standing by at the White House now, the AP's Candy Crowley, who uh, uh, has been briefed by. Uh, White House spokesman Larry Speaks, uh, if you were with us earlier, you heard that statement. Uh, Candy, can you give us a recap of what the uh, situation is, uh, what the statement is at the White House? 
Yes, Bob. Spokesman Larry Speaks came out and told us that the president was in a senior staff meeting in the Oval Office when Vice President George Bush and National Security Advisor John Poindexter entered the room and told the president of the tragedy with the shuttle. The meeting immediately broke up and the president with his senior staff went into an adjoining room to watch the television. Speak says that the president is, uh, like all Americans, deeply concerned and very shocked at what he has seen. Speaks describes the president's mood as silent. He said the president stood there in almost stunned silence as he watched the television. Speaks says you could certainly read the concern and the sorrow and the anxiety on his face. Speaks was asked uh, about whether there was any special thought of, of course, the teacher that was uh, in, in the space shuttle because this was the teacher in space program was one of the president's programs. Speaks said it was not mentioned, but certainly he noted it was on all of our minds. The AP's Candy Crowley at the White House uh, standing by uh, in Washington now to bring us some background on, uh, on the crew. And there were seven crew members aboard Challenger's 10th flight. Leslie Sawyer. Uh, Leslie, can you give us some, some background on the, uh, the seven crew members? Yes, Bob. And, and uh, about Kristen McAuliffe, it, that compounds the tragedy. It was as if um, NASA had uh, been hopeful that the, the addition of a private citizen aboard the space shuttle would focus more attention on it. As you know, a lot of TV and radio networks had ceased um, broadcasting the the launches of the shuttles live because it had become so routine and it was as if with the selection of Krista McAuliffe as the as the first teacher in space it was injecting new life into the space shuttle program at least as far as public interest was concerned and indeed uh, Krista McAuliffe was described by those who met her during the selection process and those who know her of course as a breath of fresh air she was chosen as the teacher in space uh, last July of 1985 she was 37 years old. She was born in Boston. She had graduated from Framingham State College and held a master's degree in education from Bowie State College in Maryland. She had taught English and American history since 1970. And until her selection as the NASA teacher in space, she had taught economics, law, American history. And she developed a very own course for her 10th through 12th grade students in Concord, New Hampshire. It was a course on the American woman. She uh, was married to Stephen. Uh, who was a lawyer, and, and they had two children. The other shuttle crew members, uh, the spacecraft commander was Francis Scobie. He was known as Dick. He was 46 years old, a native of Washington State. He became a NASA astronaut in 1978. He had received his degree in aerospace engineering from the University of Arizona in 1965. He was a veteran of the Air Force, and he had logged more than 6,500 hours in 45 different types of aircraft. The pilot was Michael Smith a 40-year-old native of Beaufort, North Carolina. He became a NASA astronaut in 1980. He'd received his BS degree in Naval Science from the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School. He had served with the Navy in Vietnam and had logged over 4,300 hours. Judy Resnick was one of the three mission specialists aboard the Challenger. She was 36 years old, a native of Akron, Ohio. She received her BS degree in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University and a PhD in electrical engineering from the University of Maryland. She had been an astronaut since 1978. The second mission specialist was Ronald McNair, a native of Lake City, South Carolina. He was 35 years old with a physics degree from North Carolina A&T State University and a PhD in physics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. The third mission specialist was Ellison Onizuka. He was born in Kona, Hawaii in 1946. 
He received degrees in aerospace engineering from the University of Colorado. He became a NASA astronaut in 1978. And payload specialist Greg Jarvis was 42 years old, a native of Detroit. He had received multiple degrees from several universities. And that, uh, that, uh, the, that was the seven-person crew, uh, two females and five males. Back to you, Bob. Correspondent Leslie Sawyer joining us with some background on the seven crew members aboard this ill-fated Ill flight of Challenger. The uh, orbiter Challenger, the space shuttle Challenger, uh, joined NASA's fleet uh, in July of 1982. That's when it was delivered to the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, it launched for the first time on April 4th, 1983, on its first space mission, the second orbiter to fly. Uh, its first flight was the sixth of the uh, space shuttle program. And uh, it had uh, flown nine missions before this one, including the first night launch and landing in the shuttle program and the first landing at the Kennedy Space Center. Challenger was named after an American naval research vessel that made extensive uh, cruises over vast expanses of the Atlantic and Pacific back in the 1870s. And uh, this, as we say, was to be Challenger's 10th flight into space. To recap, uh, if you are just joining us, the space shuttle Challenger lifted off the launch pad. Uh, everything appeared to be going perfectly as it lifted off the launch pad, that familiar uh, river of fire that comes uh, from the shuttle's rocket engines. Uh, and about uh, a minute into the launch, the uh, space shuttle suddenly, without warning, exploded. NASA had absolutely no indication that there was anything wrong. Uh, there was uh, an immediate uh, loss of signal from the shuttle, and uh, they were able to track uh, an impact into the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Paramedics, uh, uh, we were told, uh, were going into the area, and we have not heard back yet uh, uh, what the uh, situation uh, is if, uh, if the... Uh, paramedics found any survivors. No, uh, they, as you mentioned, Bob, they apparently just got into that area. Uh, you said that the flight looked perfect, and indeed, um, the indication from mission control at this point is that there were no anomalies uh, upon ascent. And uh, the only uh, indication of trouble was what we saw right in front of us, approximately 18 miles in, in, the, in the sky, um, a corkscrew-type motion, too much flame, uh, yeah. uh, three dots rather than just the one large white flame, and uh, apparently a, a major tragedy. Uh, absolutely stunning, absolutely incredible. Uh, we have grown to accept the space shuttle, space flight as, as routine. That is what the space shuttle did for us, is make space flight seemingly routine. Uh, everyone associated uh, directly with the space program, however, knew that that was not the case, that uh, there is always a very real hazard when you launch uh, one of these vehicles. And you can sense it when you come down here, Bob, because being from out of the area, we do tend to take the shuttle for granted, thinking that it is a routine um, uh, space transportation system and things can't go wrong. But when you get here, you do notice that there are individuals that are, in effect, uh, putting their lives on the line. And, and NASA um, has uh, certain little traditions that uh, prove this to be so. For example, before each mission takes that trip out to the launch pad. Uh, they have a traditional uh, lunch or breakfast, depending on the time of day. Each mission has a cake. Uh, uh 
you know, decorated with, the, with their mission logo, their patch. In this case, uh, what we had was the space shuttle streaking across the sky, the Earth in the background, Halley's Comet, and uh, the names of the astronauts surrounding this, this view with a little apple between the name uh, Krista McAuliffe and the other payload specialist, Greg Jarvis. Tom uh, Wolfe, in his famous book uh, that was turned into a movie, The Right Stuff, uh, spoke of the early uh, astronauts as, as almost as gladiators going to war. And that really uh, uh, was still uh, the feeling here at the uh, Kennedy Space Center in the space program in general uh, as, as the uh, seven crew members this morning uh, left the uh, 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 crew quarters. Uh, there was applause. They were that also is a, a NASA tradition. They are greeted by applause, almost as if gladiators going to battle. Uh, Thursday of this week, Bob, the crew arrived aboard T-38 jet planes and uh, the shuttle training plane and touched down at a runway at the Kennedy Space Center. And as is the tradition when astronauts arrive at KSC, they each um, address the crowd of onlookers. Leslie Sawyer has uh, pointed out uh, who these people are and a little bit about them. And uh, we thought that it might be a good idea for our listening public to hear these people. Uh, we will begin with the commander, Francis Dick Scobie of Washington State. He will introduce the rest of the crew members who were aboard Space Shuttle Mission 51L, the launch of Challenger with uh, the teacher. As usual, it's a real pleasure to be at the Cape to come down here and participate in something that the Cape does better than anybody in the world, and that's launching space vehicles. It's a, it's a great pleasure for us to be here. We expect weather like this on uh, Sunday when we launch, and you all do the best to keep it that way if you would. And what I'll do is introduce the next crew member, and we'll just go down the line, let everybody say a little, uh, little bit as we go, and... Uh, I'd like to introduce my pilot, Mike Smith, who's one of the best flyers in the world, and he's great to have him in the shuttle, and I'm glad to have him aboard as a pilot. So here's Mike. Thanks, Dick. Uh, let me echo uh, what Dick said about it's uh, good to be down here and uh, to be flying a vehicle that we know a lot of folks down here have worked very hard on. We understand it's ready to go, and we're looking forward to going to fly. Uh, I'm one of the three people on board who's... who's and it'll be, be my first time to fly. Krista McAuliffe and uh, Greg Jarvis, will all, it'll also be their first time. And we're just all looking forward to getting on over and getting the uh, secret handshake. <laughs> I'd like to uh, introduce now Judy Resnick. She's, a, she's our center seater. And uh, keep sticking eye honest on the uh, system problems. Well, I too am glad to be here one more time. And uh, I am hoping that the, the uh, affliction that Steve Hawley had from the 41D mission, mission specialist of the delays, hasn't rubbed off on me. And I think the guys behind me are hoping that it hasn't also. Otherwise, they might throw me off the flight. <laughs> and I will now introduce Elo Nazuka. Let me say that uh, it's really a pleasure to be back. Uh, looking forward to going to fly this one. I think we got some uh, real interesting payloads. The mission is a, is a great mission. We're looking forward to it, and I think uh, we're ready to go fly. Thanks for uh, being out here today. <laughs> I forgot the one thing I was supposed to do. Let me introduce uh, Ron McNair, who is uh, going to be doing a lot of work with the Spartan Halley mission and uh, carrying on a lot of the experiments that will be going on in the crew compartment. 
again, I'd like to echo the opinions of my crew members that we look forward to returning, launching from the Cape, first of all, and returning here a few days later. I had the privilege of being a part of the crew a couple of years ago that made the first landing here at the Cape, and I intend to be a part of the crew to make the first return landing to the Cape in about a week. At this time, I'd like to introduce you or to a, perhaps the person you, you came to see, and that's uh, Krista McAuliffe, our payload specialist, teacher in space. Again, this was Thursday. Well, I am so excited to be here. Um, we watched Columbia go over the Houston area this morning, and that was a thrill. I don't think any teacher has ever been more ready to have two lessons in my life. I've been preparing these since September, and I just hope everybody tunes in on day four now to watch the teacher teaching from space. I'd like and those were the uh, seven crew members of Challenger. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, Challenger did lift off the launch pad this morning at 11.38 Eastern Time, and a minute into the uh, mission, a minute into the flight, exploded without warning. There is no word on the fate of the crew. And no word on what may have caused the explosion aboard the orbiter. Uh, so far, we've heard from mission specialist Steve Nesbitt that there were no anomalies uh, after it lifted off and that um, rescue personnel were dispatched to the area but not allowed into the immediate area because of falling debris were not allowed into the immediate area for oh 45 minutes 44 to 45 minutes after the accident occurred the reaction continues to come in we have heard reaction a stunned reaction from president reagan already uh, through his uh, spokesman larry speaks uh, on capitol hill the ap's nora wolf uh, has some reaction there the House of Representatives convened at noon Eastern time. As usual, the session opened with a prayer by the House chaplain, the Reverend James David Ford. This time, there was a special message. And at this special moment, let us remember in silent prayer those who were involved in the spacecraft shuttle accident just a few minutes ago off Florida. Let us pray. The House was to have considered a few non-controversial bills, but in deference to the occasion, the House recessed for a few hours. Nora Wolf, Capitol Hill. We're looking at video uh, a replay of the uh, shuttle uh, explosion, and uh, what we see, uh, it, it, it is apparent that the shuttle exploded uh, and fragmented. From, the, from that camera angle, there's no question about it. We saw the uh, the, the plume of smoke, but we definitely saw an explosion, and then the, the two solid rocket boosters piercing off uh, in different directions following what apparently was an explosion of the Challenger. What we saw uh, earlier this morning, about uh, an hour ago now, was, uh, was the shuttle uh, rising above the, uh, the ground high into the sky, and suddenly uh, the uh, familiar plume of smoke dividing and spiraling and a uh, sudden realization that, uh, that something was dreadfully wrong. The astronauts' families, Bob, are generally kept together specifically for reasons like this. And um, they would have been together uh, perhaps over by uh, crew quarters or the vehicle assembly building uh, for a good view of the launching. And with them, uh, you know, per perhaps would have been Krista McAuliffe's uh, husband, Stephen. Uh, Krista's husband was here, her nine-year-old son, and her five-year-old daughter. And uh, just uh, here to, uh, unfortunately, witness uh, a terrible tragedy. The AP's Mark Russo is standing by with us now. This is certainly, uh, without a doubt, the, uh, 
the biggest tragedy, the biggest disaster in the American space program, uh, but there have been uh, other hitches uh, uh, to this point. Uh, Mark, uh, some background on that. Yeah, Bob, 55 manned space flights and never a death until now in space. But ironically, 19 years ago yesterday, three astronauts died on the launch pad during a pressure test of the Apollo spacecraft, the Apollo. Air Force Lieutenant Commander Virgil Gus Grissom, Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Edward White, and Lieutenant Commander Roger Chafee. They died of asphyxiation. That was the official, official notification. It was during a fire on board Apollo, and they died in the first 18 seconds of the fire. Frank Borman, who is now chairman of Eastern, Eastern Airlines, was an astronaut at the time, and he tried to explain to reporters what happened. First basic deficiency was in the fact that the test was not identified and classified as a hazardous test. Now, this was uh, a failure in the procedures and the management, if you will. Second deficiency was we had combustibles, too many combustibles within the spacecraft, contiguous to ignition sources and in a 16.7 pure oxygen atmosphere. The third basic deficiency was the fact that we had vulnerable wiring that provided ignition sources. Now, that's all technical talk, but what it boiled down to is that three astronauts, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chafee, died. January 27, 1967, in the line of duty. There have been many close calls in the space program, notably Apollo 13. That ship was 200,000 miles away from us, en route to the moon in 1970, when its oxygen tank exploded. Left without power and heat, the astronauts crawled into the attached lunar lander and huddled there while gravity carried them around the moon and back toward Earth. America had its first space scare, on the second manned space flight when Gus Grissom rode the Mercury spacecraft Liberty Bell 7 in a 15-minute suborbital flight. The spacecraft parachuted into the Atlantic and sank. Grissom had to swim for his life in his awkward spacesuit. Also in the Mercury program, the first American orbital flight by John Glenn. Mission Control got an indication that a rocket package had broken loose and possibly would not work. Without it, Glenn would have to be trapped in orbit, would have been trapped in orbit. Thankfully, it did not happen. The rocket worked and he landed safely. In 1966, two American astronauts came within three seconds of death on Gemini 8. The astronauts Neil Armstrong, who landed on the moon, and David Scott had linked up in space with an unmanned Agena rocket. Only minutes later, their craft began to spin out of control. Armstrong, who later gained fame, of course, as the first man to walk on the moon, finally stopped the spin by firing a re-entry rocket. The ship came home safely. The space shuttle program, which had its first flight in April of 1981, has had its share of scares, but none before in a life-threatening category. There have been a number of launch pad aborts we've become familiar with when pressure in the shuttle had built the liftoff point, and once there was an abort to orbit, which meant that one of the ship's three engines had to be shut down during ascent. But again, there are 55, 55 manned space flights and never a death until now. This is the AP radio network now back to bob moon live at the kennedy space center and this is coverage of uh, what has turned to tragedy here the mission of of challenger uh, stations along the ap uh, network line we want to advise you that we are going to be continuing this coverage uh, we will pause uh, at the top of the hour for uh, for a newscast uh, uh, and be bringing you up to date on uh, other news today and then be coming back to our coverage here so uh, if you want to stay uh, stay with us uh, we are waiting to hear first of all uh, from the paramedics uh, the crews that have gone into the area of the atlantic where uh, uh, the uh, uh, 
the tracking of the, where, where NASA tracked the, uh, the object that fell into the Atlantic. And uh, we also are uh, waiting to see if there is any indication from NASA as they play back their telemetry over and over again. They have just uh, a, a mound of, of uh, data to go through uh, if they find any indication of what happened. Uh, we can see from uh, video replays uh, that uh, the shuttle indeed exploded. It appeared to, uh, to fragment uh, suddenly. Uh, about a minute before it got off the ground, or a minute after it got off the ground, and uh, now there is just a just a trace of uh, in the sky of of uh, uh, the the remains of that uh, plume of steam that uh, that lifted the shuttle high into the sky. Uh, the AP's Dick Giuliano is uh, joining us again. He's been uh, tracking down some some information, what he can find out about this. Didn't have to track uh, very far, Bob. We don't have any firm information at this point as to what happened, but our colleague at the Associated Press, Howard Benedict, who has covered all of the manned space shots here, observed the slow motion video, and um, his feeling at this point is that something went wrong with the right solid rocket booster. From looking at that video, uh, Howard Benedict, who uh, is uh, really one of the country's uh, uh, foremost space reporters, uh, it's his opinion that something went wrong with the right solid rocket booster before the explosion of the orbiter. Let's uh, go back, uh, folks in Washington, if you're listening uh, for, uh, well, here's Mission Control. 48 a.m. Central Standard Time. Recovery teams are yes, Bob, just, uh, searching uh, the bring impact you the area uh, off the coast of uh, launch pad uh, Launch pad uh, 39B, where uh, earlier this morning on ascent, we had uh, an incident uh, approximately one minute after uh, ascent, uh, an apparent explosion as the uh, space shuttle had uh, shortly uh, before reached uh, a throttle back uh, position. The uh, range safety teams uh, were unable to get uh, the uh, rather the uh, uh, rescue teams, the search and rescue teams, uh, delayed in getting into the area because of debris continuing to fall uh, from uh, very high altitudes for as long, uh, almost as an hour uh, after uh, after ascent. Those teams uh, in place now uh, in the search area. The voice of Steve Nesbitt of Mission Control in Houston. We will provide additional information as it becomes available to us. This is Mission Control Houston. And so uh, it's, uh, it's apparent that uh, NASA knows a little more than we do, really, at this point. Certainly no indication as to what happened, though. Uh, I, I wasn't able to hear his entire transmission from Houston. Did he indicate, Bob, that uh, NASA has any indication as to what went wrong, what may have caused the explosion? Uh, very... Uh, sketchy uh, information they're going through now. The replays uh, they're playing back and they're playing back their telemetry uh, trying to find out uh, uh, what happened. Uh, let's go back again as I, as I began to say uh, to uh, the folks in Washington who can uh, replay for us once again uh, Steve Nesbitt's initial description uh, of the uh, of the explosion of Challenger about a minute into launch. I'm not sure we're going to have that uh, immediately, but uh, uh, we'll go ahead and try for that. The uh, 
the Challenger had lifted off the uh, launch pad at 11.38 Eastern Time and uh, was rising uh, into the sky on a pillar of flame and, and smoke. And uh, this was the description. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are uh, looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces to see uh, what can be done at this point. We have a report uh, relayed through the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. We are now looking at uh, all the contingency operations and awaiting uh, word from any recovery uh, forces in the downrange field. Reports from the flight dynamics officer indicate that the vehicle uh, apparently exploded and that uh, impact uh, in the water at a, a point approximately 28.64 uh, degrees north, uh, 80.28 uh, degrees west. Range safety uh, equipment uh, And uh, that was the voice of NASA.